Makers of Sport Podcast, episode 46, with Kyle Bunch. Welcome to episode 46 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Today on the show, we have Kyle Bunch joining us. Kyle is the managing director of social at RGA, which is one of the world's leading digital agencies and also the firm responsible for some of the recent Beats by Dre, LeBron ads, as well as Nike's digital work. Kyle has had the pleasure of working with many other brands, though, at his time at the agency, including Google, Netflix, Samsung, Airbnb, and more. In addition, Kyle has written for major sports websites such as Fan House, Fox Sports, and USA Today, and is also the co-founder of Blogs with Balls, which is an event series in cities around the U.S. that focuses on sports new media and its future. Welcome to the show, Kyle. I appreciate you taking the time to come aboard. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Adam. So I gave a brief bio in the intro, but can you give us a little bit more in depth? What's your, what got your start? What's your story? Yeah, yeah, totally. So I, uh, I grew up in Southern California, uh, grew up, uh, going to angel games and, and, uh, eventually went to USC and, uh, you know, was a, was a huge USC football fan was actually at USC during the, uh, dreaded Paul Hackett years. So I wasn't necessarily the biggest USC football fan while I was there because it was painful. Uh, but I grew up loving sports and, uh, you know, stayed in Southern California after I graduated. And, you know, around that time was when, you know, early sort of blogging platforms like, you know, TypePad and the very earliest days of WordPress were kind of coming out. And I was uh, at the time kind of working in, you know, basically a really small digital boutique digital advertising agency. And, uh, you know, kind of a job that I sort of just fell into, uh, to, you know, be totally transparent. I, you know, I grew up or I, uh, came out of school and I, I got a job selling cell phones that was not a fit <laughs> selling, selling Nextel cell phones and quickly fell out of that. And suddenly, you know, found myself 21 with student loan debt and figuring out what am I going to do? And, and was fortunate enough to get involved with digital, digital advertising and, and, you know, was fascinated by this idea of being able to you know, build websites and, and, you know, how could I, how could I do this myself? And along comes all these blogging platforms that would allow me to, uh, to go create things online. And, and so, you know, I got really involved with blogging at a, at a, you know, early point, started a USC football blog called Trojan Wire, uh, right as USC football was, was starting its big epic run. And, um, you know, that was kind of off to the races for me. Spent a few years continuing to work at that digital agency, working, you know, in, in all capacities from kind of production to experience design, learning a lot. Um, and then, you know, doing all this kind of blogging on the side and, and you know, building a fan base and, and learning a lot there. And then, you know, eventually one day kind of trying to trying to look at doing something bigger and uh, saw an opportunity at RGA to potentially go out and move to New York and work on the Nike account and, uh, was fortunate enough that between my experience, you know, working in a digital agency and, um, you know, the deep knowledge of sport and having this this sports blog as a, a proof that I, you know, was was very passionate and knowledgeable about about sport, 
they they saw fit to to hire me and and help me move out to New York and uh, you know like they say the rest is sort of history. Um, from there, it was you know a lot of getting to work on great stuff with Nike and other other clients. You know, not always exclusively in sport, but typically you know I built a reputation as the the sports guy around around the shop and uh, got to work on some great work with Mastercard. Like you said, some of that work with Beats. Uh, and a host of others, and uh, and then somewhere in there, I met Don Povia, who uh, and Chris Lucas, and we started the the Blogs with Balls Sports Conference together. And yeah, I mean, it's just one of those funny things where you know you just kind of fall into it, and before you know it, you're getting to do stuff that you love. That's awesome, man. So when you were in school, did you did you work for? I mean, you didn't work for athletics or anything, right? Like you, how did you kind of? I mean, I guess it was just a passion thing, right? Like you didn't plan on being a sports writer. Yeah, no, I uh, I didn't. I, I it was just sort of the passion thing. And, and to be honest, I start I think must have started twenty or thirty different blogs in those early days out of college about every different topic from you know craft beer to uh, you know to you know memes before memes and gifs were really a thing. And you know all these things that I can look back on and go, man, I just sort of missed my timing to be uh, a billionaire today. But the the one that stuck, the one that really kind of took off, was was the one about USC football. And so. That's why I say it was, you know, it was one of many passions, but it was just the one that kind of kept kind of consistently leading to new opportunities. Now, did you did you have like an entrepreneurial spirit growing up or anything? Uh, I wasn't. No, I mean, I wasn't necessarily that guy who, you know, had the the lemonade stand at a young age and was arbitraging selling hot dogs on the beach or anything like that. I uh, I did. I was fortunate enough in, in going to USC, which has a really good business school. Um, I actually went through the entrepreneurship program there. So, you know, it, this was, you know, circa 1999, 2000, not to date myself too much. And, uh, and so, you know, I was watching as people I knew were leaving USC and starting companies and quickly getting millions of dollars in funding. So it seemed like the obvious thing to do. Of course, you know, missed my window by about a year or two. And, and, uh, you know, the market for startups had kind of collapsed by the time I graduated in May of 2000. So that's where it kind of became, what am I going to do with my life? And, and, you know, what can I go, you know, get hired to do? And with a business degree, you, you know, it was, the, I, I didn't have the computer science background or the design background to get into, you know, advertising in other ways. So for me, it was kind of falling in through, you know, sort of project management production as somebody who could, you know, run a project, keep it on budget, that sort of thing, and, and use that as a way to kind of learn all the other parts of the business. That's cool. So it seems like that Trojan Wire really sort of was something that, you can point to as at, as something that really carved a path for something bigger in your career as far as getting the, the job at RGA. I mean, is that, were they specifically asking you about side projects or anything? I mean, how much did that play into it as far as like setting you apart from other candidates? Yeah, I think at the time I, uh, you know, I working at a smaller agency, you know, you've, you, you had this body of work that, you know, was, you're working on smaller brands that, you know, when you're going to somebody like RGA, they may not necessarily, you know, know who that you know, local restaurant or, you know, you know, have, you know, necessarily have the context to look at that work and, and really judge you on it. So um, a lot of how I was going out and selling myself in, in trying to kind of move to the next thing was, okay, well, I've done all this stuff and I'm at this agency and we you know, worked on some brands like MTV and Symantec and some names, but there's also this site that you can go visit right now that's that's really awesome, that's live, that's, you know, that that I programmed myself and designed myself and that all the writing or, you know, majority of the writing there is my own. So for a lot, a lot of it for me was just, it was the most comprehensive piece of work that I had been, where I'd been able to do the most and, and, you know, something in my portfolio where it wasn't just like, oh yeah, I managed this project, but it was, you know, this is something I, I 
kind of built from the ground up. And I think, you know, that was, that was why I, you know, led with it and, and knew going in that, you know, RGA with their, at the time, you know, biggest and, and most prominent client being Nike, which is pretty much still the case today, um, that they certainly it couldn't hurt to see that, you know, I spent my, you know, that I, I lived and breathed sport. So, um, and it, and it just kind of worked out that I think at the time RGA had all of this really great talent, um, but but to be totally honest, I think a lot of the talent that they had was, you know, wasn't necessarily it was talent first ahead of maybe always the passion for sport. It wasn't that there weren't a lot of people who didn't love basketball and football in the different categories we had. It was just, you know, that that, uh, you know, there wasn't there was probably not as much of the like deep, deep knowledge of sport, just geeking out on it, knowing every single player um, who they play for, where they went to college at the level that I kind of did. So it was uh, it all kind of came together for me. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, one of the reasons why I bring it up is because on this show, I I always try to push people to do side projects. I mean, this podcast for me is a side project. My day-to-day, I'm a full-time independent designer uh, running my own freelance business. But, you know, it's it's interesting how these things kind of lead to to other opportunities. And especially, you know, you're mentioning that RGA, I mean, you're working with Nike and USC is a Nike school. So it's like this sort of serendipitous thing where like you're producing content for one of their you know their client schools yeah no it, it worked out really well and I, you know i like what you're saying there i mean i think i i on the side will you know have done some some teaching in different classes at the miami ad school and and you know guest lectured and and you know every time when it's that sort of you know how do i how do i go forward or trying to kind of leave somebody with a lasting impression and, and advice i i say yeah like today with how easy it is to start something that is a, you know, that demonstrates your passion and your ability, whether it's a, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a blog, whether it's a Twitter account or an Instagram account, whatever it might be, um, you know, there's, there's no excuse. There's no, you shouldn't be waiting for this job that's going to let you show the world what you can do. You should just be doing it. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's something that I, you know, I always try to kind of impart to, to anybody is if there's something you want to go do, start doing it. And, and especially now, I mean, everything's so networked that you start doing it, you're going to connect with other people who share that passion. I mean, I, I mentioned Don and, and Blogs with Falls. I mean, he and I met at a focus group that Wyden and Kennedy was holding for ESPN.com when they had, they had been part of the, the redesign of ESPN.com. And it was literally Don and I, and then a host of other people who worked in sport, a couple of agents and managers, and some woman who wrote about kayaking for the New York Times. And you know, here Don and I were sort of, the, we were the two oddball bloggers in the room and, and we kind of became friends and quickly kind of figured out, okay, he runs Hugging Harold Reynolds, blogs mostly about Philly and East Coast sports. I run a USC sports blog. No idea how we're going to work together, but we should keep in touch. Um, and then, you know, a year later, uh, we found ourselves at, at this event called RaffleCon, which was uh, as in like rolling on the floor laughing con, uh, you know, internet culture in the, you know, heyday or early days, you know, 2008, yeah. <laughs> eight, I guess it would have been. And and it was, you know, I, I remember being there with him and uh, we, we look over and we're sitting next to, I don't know if you're the Tron guy, but like the, you know, rather large gentleman in a snugly fitting Tron costume who was there and on stage is a guy talking about how he put his cat on Twitter and the cat has 100,000 followers. And we're just basically surrounded by the weirdest, you know, subcultures of the Internet and kind of looking around. And, and I think we both were sort of like, this is cool, but we got to get out of yeah. here. This is sort of <laughs> overwhelming. And uh, we went to a nearby bar and we were talking and I said, you know, that's not totally our scene, but if we were to do something like that around sport, that'd be really cool. And, 
you know, fortunately, uh, fortunately, Don was part of it because I'm the type of guy who would have planned it to death. And, and I don't know if it would have ever happened. And instead, Don, you know, within a couple of days, had told everybody that we knew in the sports blogging world that we wanted to do this, got them on board and started looking into venues and told everybody we were going to do it. So we had no no room to back down. So that's what I mean. It's just, you know, by by sort of just putting it out to the world, here's the stuff that I'm passionate about. Suddenly you start kind of making these these connections and and crazy things happen from there. Well, I think too, it's, it's kind of something that, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, that it, it, it causes you to stand out. Like I just got back from a conference a couple, uh, couple months ago and you're standing there and it's like, this person does what you do. This person does what you do. This person does what you do. And it's like, Oh, you do that too. But you're also the, you know, blah, blah, blah guy, you know? So it's like when you're in the room, it's like, well, you're, you're kind of a digital marketing manager, you know, or whatever your position was, but, but you're the Trojan, the Trojan wire guy, right? Yeah. Like you can point to this tangible thing that like sets you apart, which I think is beautiful about those types of projects. Yeah. And it was, it was sort of a necessity for me because, uh, you know, in the early days you're working on stuff that, you know, you may be working for months on a website for some, you know, uh, you know, software, computer hardware company, you know, you're young, you're, you're going out to parties, you know, the, the girls aren't exactly lining up for the dude who's, you know, helping to build the the new Broadcom intranet, you know, so, <laughs> and not like, not like Trojan Wire was, was a, you know, a huge get with the ladies either, but at least it was a, a related, you know, relatable point when you're talking to, to girls who went to USC saying, Hey, I've got a USC football log. They're like, all right, that's, that's slightly less nerdy than, than yeah. the Broadcom. It's like, it's, it's a step above like, yeah, the other stuff. It's still, it's still way below being, being an athlete. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're in LA and you're surrounded by like, you know, actors and, and, you know, guys driving up in Mercedes and, you know, it wasn't exactly it was it was definitely bringing a knife to a gunfight but it was something yeah well i want to kind of do a little bit of a deep dive on rga itself it's i mentioned earlier it's one of the world's first digital agencies to my knowledge and i know that bob greenberg has really been an innovator in that space i think that it's in today's day and age though it's tough because big agencies like you guys and and i think the bigger you get the harder it is to kind of keep up with this fast changing sort of agile innovating pace so from like a tech and mobile standpoint why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do at the agency and then how do you keep up with the day-to-day changes in tech and kind of being agile yeah so you know i think you know so my role you know i've I've been here now for eight and a half years it's crazy to say that and and like i said got my start as a senior producer working on nike predominantly nike basketball um and at the time i mean uh, it's Funny because we, we've, you know, continue to work with Nike basketball this day. And I was in some meetings a few months ago and kind of re- relating or you're reflecting on all these uh, all these things that we were doing back then, back in, you know, 2007. You know, we had a, a weekly podcast that we were doing with, uh, you know, a, a great host, uh, Rich Lopez from uh, Kicks in the City, great sneaker blog. And he'd host and we'd have guys like Kobe and LeBron and all of the Nike athletes calling in. And you'd have kids that could then call in and ask questions. But, you know, this was a podcast in the days well before podcasting had really taken off. Um, we had, you know, all these kind of weekly content series and a blog and all of this stuff before, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all of the, you know, where, where every brand was producing mountains of content every day. So, you know, it, so it was really exciting to kind of be at that forefront. And I think a lot of that um, really goes, you know, the other part of the question around, you know, RGA, I mean, it really goes to speaks to, you know, 
Bob as a visionary. And, you know, I think that's a word that gets thrown around and, and in this case is, is very much deserved as far as the, the way that Bob, you know, the, the company started in 1977 uh, in uh, computer-assisted filmmaking in, in a day when there, there wasn't CGI yet. I mean, we're talking about renting equipment from NASA so that you can do composited shots that, you know, wow. do the fly, flyover for the, you know, uh, the opening credits of Superman or, you know, coming to get, coming up with a way to shoot the, you know, opening shot that you see an alien of that, you know, egg on a alien landscape. And, and it was a combination of super high tech of doing, you know, the, the text animating in and super low tech of like fresh baked brownies subbing in as a as a far off planet landscape as the, as the ground underneath the egg, you know I mean? It was such a level of creativity and, and innovation at that early level. And then the company's gone through these several reinventions each time because Bob saw that, you know, as what, you know, an area that he had pioneered with computer assistant filmmaking was quickly getting commoditized as, you know, more and more players, your ILMs and digital domains, everybody kind of jumped in. So he saw that the next opportunity was around kind of taking that technology into the TV space. And so thinking about sport, he did, uh, you know, our Greenberg and associates did the, the legendary Shaq versus Shaq Pepsi ad and Paula Abdul dancing with Gene Kelly and all of these things. Um, and then, you know, the, the biggest change, the one that you kind of go, man, the the balls on this guy, uh, you know, in the mid nineties with a really nice business, 400 people working for him, he went and, um, you know, saw that, okay, the internet's going to change all this and I, you know, TV commercials, all this is going to be irrevocably, you know, disrupted and went from a 400 person TV production shop to a 50 person, like you said, one of the first interactive or digital shops. And, um, you know, made this bold transformation. Um, this was, you know, I think 1994, 95, you know, before, the rise of, of digital agencies and all this stuff. And, and, you know, and that spirit has kind of continued on through the company's made a few, you know, additional evolutions and, and, you know, building out, you know, additional capabilities that, that have, you know, kind of brought us to the point where we are today, building the ventures arm and the accelerators. And, and, you know, each time I think it's, it's been about staying ahead of the curve um, and making bold bets that, you know, a lot of people, it's the safe thing is, hey, just keep milking the cash cow here. We don't need to go, you know, reinvent ourselves. And I think because of that, I always, you know, I hate corporate buzz speak like, oh, the, the corporate DNA, you know, sometimes some of those times that, you know, those things sound cheesy. But in this case, I, it's it's taught being at RGA has taught me that there is some real truth to that that DNA, that culture. And, and I think a lot of the great work that we do for clients is because we've got a, you know, a le leader who's still our CEO and very involved in the business today, uh, who's, who's, you know, really lives it and who really believes that like, you've got to keep reinventing, you've got to keep changing yourself. And so when a client asks us to help them do the same thing, we can do it. We live it. We breathe it. Right. Well, and, and he's a very, obviously he's a very entrepreneurial guy. And it seems like looking at your path as well, and just some of the other people that I know that that work there having seen their stuff or paid attention to their bios and that type of thing. It, it, it almost seems like you guys have this entrepreneurial spirit where like everybody sort of, you have these ideas, you want to push the limit on these ideas as opposed to just doing the safe, the safe thing like you were talking about. Yeah. I, I think that, that was one of the things that I liked the most, you know, obviously being somebody who liked tinkering and side projects and stuff to land, you know, at the time when I started, I think there was about 400 of us pretty much just in New York. I think they had just started a London office, um, you know, compared to where we are today with 17 or 18, whatever it is, offices worldwide. Um, and, but everybody there 
had side projects, had different things going on. So you had that that level of sort of people who, you know, love to kind of invent things that don't exist and, and play around with new technology. Um, but also, I, I you know, I always tell people that the way uh, I see Bob run the company, I mean, all at once, he's very visionary, but he's also – you know, he's also one that, you know, empowers the people that are that are under him, empowers the team to help, you know, def- define how are we going to reach that vision, you know. And so it's it's like a really great captain who's going to kind of point the ship in a direction and it's it's on the crew to help na- safely navigate us there and help figure out how do we get there, you know, uh, on time, on schedule, on budget, you know, and and um, and and along the way, you know, I think the the, the people that that's attracted um, have this commitment to doing really interesting, surprising, you know, to, to just not doing, you know, the things that are expected. And, and that's the part that I think keeps it really fun is, is that spirit of, you know, how do we do something that's going to, you know, make people go, wow, how the hell did they do that? That's cool. So what's just to kind of explain, explain for the listeners, um, I think when people hear Nike and they hear agencies, they oftentimes think Widening Kennedy, and then you also hear RGA. What is your guys' relationship with the brand, and maybe how does it differ from their traditional agency? So, you know, it it, it really varies client by client. You know, I think with somebody, you know, like Nike, it's it's definitely been as as sort of a, you know, innovation partner working with, you know, a lot of different business, business units within there, whether it's a brand like a Nike basketball or Nike, you know, football, or whether it's, you know, something like the, the Nike commerce group that's responsible for the store um, to something like the Nike Plus platform, which started obviously as a chip in a shoe talking to an iPod, which already feels so so adorably dated, you know, an iPod already, but, but, you know, it's, it's, it's already, you know, it, it quickly advanced into iPhones and everywhere else. Um, and, and all these different ways to, to track your fitness and, and became a much more fully featured platform around this idea of fuel and how do you track all of your activity in a meaningful way, um, to, to, and, and use that to inspire more action and, and, you know, keep you moving. Um, and so, you know, with somebody like Nike, that, that tends to be more of the role. There's certainly, you know, some, you know, digital campaigns and other things that'll come to life, but it's really, you know, for us, I think, you know, Nike's such a, such a leader, such a visionary company. Uh, so I think a lot of times we're, we are really just, you know, at our best, we're, we're there to be a partner to them and fill in the gaps to, to help them chase whatever that next bold move is. Um, we certainly have some clients, you know, that where we're able to do our traditional campaign work. Certainly you talk a little bit about Beats and, and we've, we've been able to do some great stuff there. Most recently, um, I don't know if you saw the the uh, the love has no labels spot that that was you know on TV got a, a ton of views I think 100 million plus views on YouTube um, so we're able to you know I think do that kind of more traditional you know advertising storytelling and and certainly have those relationships we're in more of kind of an agency of record in a you know traditional sense um, and then and then there's a whole bunch of you know other relationships in there where we're really you know. I think trans- certainly transcending, you know, any sort of traditional or digital agency model. And, and I, you know, say candidly, I think, you know, we, we, we struggle a little bit to, you know, define, okay, what, what is the one word that you'd use to describe what we are as an agency? Uh, you know, is it an agency? Is it a consultancy? Um, is it an, you know, an innovation partner? It's really, you know, we like to say, you know, we're, we, we've built a company, you know, uh, for the, the connected age, um, and, you know, we're there, you know, really delivering, you know, 
to the things that a company needs, that businesses need to grow and succeed today. And that might be, you know, products and services. Um, that might be more of the kind of communication side, or it might be something that's more what you might get from a consultancy um, that, that's kind of this sort of business transformation. How do we help you develop the strategy, develop the business case to make those big moves um, to stay out in front of the competition and all the disruptive factors that are out there? Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, consumer brands being media companies and, and software companies. And I know that you are, being a social media guy, probably familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah, he was uh, our featured speaker at Blogs with Balls 1, actually. That's awesome. He He's a super inspiring guy. Anyhow, Nike, you mentioned earlier, Nike Plus and, and their running apps and maybe even some of their training applications. They're they're creating software. They are becoming companies that are making their own digital products and and like we said, becoming media companies. So I'm curious from your perspective as someone that works closely with the brand, what are the benefits for the brand specifically from their perspective when creating software and things like that? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think we've all watched over the last whatever it is 10 15 years since since Steve Jobs came back to Apple as this sort of gold standard I mean real gold standard company you know I mean nobody has had the success that they've had and you know if there's, there's a key lesson you take away from that it's really that you know it's it's difficult to separate out that that great brand um, the the kind of hardware the software the marketing like they're all they're all linked together. You can't, you know, it, it's really difficult to succeed if you've got the best in class hardware, but the software that's running on there is inferior. It's, it's really difficult if you've got the best advertising, but then I go and I buy the product and it falls apart in the first three months um, and doesn't live up to the promise of that advertising or, or that brand. And, and so, you know, I think that's, that's what the, the, you know, the leaders like a Nike have sort of recognized that, the space that they're in, you know, and, and, you know, serving athletes, you know, everywhere that, that certainly hardware, great, you know, the apparel, the footwear is a big part of that, but there's a, you know, there's an important software com- growing software component as well. And you really need those two sides to work well together. I think the other thing that we've seen, um, out of that, which I think, you know, I think that may have been more of your sort of Genesis of why a Nike want, wanted to be playing in a, in a software space. But one of the great, sort of side benefits that we, we get out of that is as you start to build that added value that comes from having that software service layer um, and you build that deeper relationship with, you know, with your customers, this great thing happens where you, you don't have to spend nearly as much money to market to them because now you've got a direct relationship with them. So, right. you know, you, you've heard, you know, a lot of the, the great leadership at Nike recognizing this the, the huge benefit that they get from that. Not only does a Nike, did a Nike plus help them sell more running shoes, um, in the near term, it, it also meant that now all of a sudden they weren't beholden to, you know, the big media players when they wanted to go talk to their customers because they're talking to them every day through the app, through email, through all these different channels that people are happy to hear from Nike because they're giving them so much value through these experiences. So, you know, you hear a lot of other people now following suit. Um, I, I, I think it was in the last few months that I read Domino's saying, well, we're not a we're not a pizza company or a food company anymore. We're a technology company. Um, and I think, you know, to some extent, everybody kind of has to look at themselves that way and say, you know, ultimately, you know, we may only be as successful as the, the kind of underlying technology that the, you know, experience stack that we're putting together. And that's technology. That's the sort of design 
Um, that's, you know, in a lot of cases, the partners that you're using to bring that to market. It's really, you know, it is really the sort of only as good as our weakest link. I think it it's probably a interesting thing too, where the brands are able to solicit feedback directly from the usage of their products, right? Where you think about a, a technology brand or like Facebook or whatever, or any digital brand, they're really paying attention to things like user experience. How are people using this, this particular app? But with a company like Nike, they're able to see people running in these shoes and maybe there's ways for people to leave feedback on, you know, how did, how did this feel today? How did your run feel today? And maybe just like subliminal things where it's like, did your, you know, did it feel bad? Did you feel hurt? Did you feel bad? Like every day, maybe we need to fix the shoe. <laughs> maybe it's less, maybe it's more us than it is you. Yeah, no, I think there, there's definitely, you know, you, you, by creating that service layer, there's this feedback loop that you're able to tap into that, you know, you just think about all those data points that like previously, you know, you're, you're buying, buying a product and you're going in and buying at whatever cadence, whether it's, you know, household items weekly or whether it's, you know, apparel and footwear and things that are probably six months or once a year or what it might be. And, and outside of that, it's like, what do we learn? Well, we might do some focus groups, but other than that, we're basically learning, well, how often is this person coming back and buying? And in a lot of cases, you know, with, with the sort of retail model, you may not necessarily even know who that person was that, you know, bought, bought the same pair of shoes seven times because they went and bought it one time at Amazon and one time at Foot Locker and all, you know. So I think that's, that's one of the, the big things is, yeah, how do you kind of connect all of that? And certainly, you know, these sort of service layers are really big and, you know, the area that I, you know, obviously focus a lot of my time in is, is social. And that's, that's created a whole other really valuable layer on top of it. And, and now that we're getting to this place where we can start to connect, you know, who is this person on, you know, on my dot com who's, who's logged in and buying stuff and doing things and taking action and, and who are they in social and what are they talking about? Where do they live? What are they passionate about? And how do we create this, this, you know, more detailed picture of, of who somebody is so we can provide that much more value and tailor the experience to them that much more. And, and I think where we're getting to that gets really crazy and exciting is how can we anticipate what they need next and give it to them? And, and you start to think about all the different ways that that can, you know, more and more now play out and, and being able to, you know, the, the big retailers who are able to, you know, shift around the, the, their inventory to basically, you know, anticipate where people are going to be so that they can give something what they somebody what they want as fast as possible when they want it. That's great. Well, let's change paths here a little bit. Let's talk more specifically about sports. Uh, another running theme on this particular podcast is how passionate and how tribal sports fans are. And actually, former NBA creative director and founder of Game Plan Creative, Tom O'Grady, who was on episode 35 of this show, he calls sports the living brand. So meaning that you know when fans engage with sports content, it's usually always in real time. And you know, in fact, it might be the only thing people passionately watch in real time nowadays at such a scale. So have, have you found this to be true on your end? And do brands, maybe even those not in the sports industry, are they, are they doing a good job tapping into this level of real-time engagement? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think you're right. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, over the last 10 or 15 years, the, the rise of TiVo and the DVR really disrupted you know, so much of the way that people consumed content. And, and then obviously, as, as you know, broadband and, and, you know, sort of digital streaming rose, you know, that much more disruptive where people can watch what they want, when they want, 
does really, you know, is that little sliver of remaining kind of appointment viewing. And you see, you know, you obviously see the few kind of shows, the Game of Thrones or the Breaking Bads that can kind of break through and create a, a sense of urgency that get, gets people to still tune in, you know, right as that show premieres. But but yeah, sport is sport is the one place where, you know, that attention is really captured. And and yeah, I think, you know, what what I, again, you know, I sort of come at it from my my, you know, seat in the world and and paying a lot of attention to social. And that's what makes this the most exciting is not just, oh, we've got a captive audience. So they're going to have to sit here uh, watching live TV and sit through our commercials that, you know, may or may not add value um, and, and, you know, in any meaningful way while they're trying to just watch a football game. Um, but, but being able to have that engagement layer of social that's, that's riding along with them as they're, they're watching the game. And, you know, I, you know, I, I look back as social really took off. I was, you know, a kid in, in New York, you know, watching the Lakers, you know, sadly choke away a series to the Celtics. Um, never forget that, whatever it was, 25 point meltdown in, in, in the, in the finals there. But, you know, feeling so isolated that all of my friends were watching this, this game 3000 miles away. And I can remember, you know, calling people up and talking through it, but, you know, we hadn't reached the critical mass where I could go on Twitter or Facebook and, and, you know, have all my commiserating about the, the pain of watching them, uh, you know, throw the series away. And, and so, you know, flash forward a few years and it's, it's just so great to be able to sit here and, and watch, a you know, a, a Dodgers game, you know, late at night, um, you know, at 10, 11 p.m. and have friends and, and other people that are kind of sharing in that experience. Um, it's, I always like to think of it as this sort of like virtual sports bar that that convenes, you know, at any moment around any game on on Twitter and elsewhere. So I think that's that to me is what gets really exciting about it is this this immediacy of the game coupled with the immediacy of, of technology, um, you know, really creates, you know, something new and, and special that in a lot of ways is just an extension of, of what we've always done, but just removing any of the boundaries of kind of time and space. Right. Right. When I, from the design perspective, obviously this being, uh, myself being a designer, I tend to pay a lot more attention to that world, but in social media, things like Instagram infographics and Twitter images and and you know we all kind of know this whole like uh, an image gets more engagement or whatever on on Twitter uh, but how important are those types of things with teams I mean there are actually some designers that listen to the show that do that full time they literally design like Instagram images to share on Instagram and Twitter yeah I mean you're, you're spot on you know the the ultimate you know cliche of, 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 you know, picture a thousand words, but it, it's, you know, that much more true in a world where we're all just constantly pulling to refresh and scrolling and looking for that next thing. And, you know, what's going to make us stop. And, you know, it's, a, it's a lot harder to do that with, with a few words than it is with, you know, a, you know, a really well composed image. And, and so I think that's, you know, whether it's, whether it's, photography and obviously the rise of Instagram was really driven by, you know, filters and things that could help you make really gorgeous stuff or, you know, uh, you know, the, the sort of infographics and the ways that you can, you know, within the constraints of Twitter's 140 characters tell a, a deeper story. And one of the things that I've watched actually take off recently that I think is really interesting is this rise of sort of creating an image that's, that's a, you know, a pull quote, whether it's some of the apps that let you kind of highlight text and then tweet out this little subset or, you know, I've seen, you know, some of the, the kind of bigger digital publishers, your Buzzfeeds and Boing Boings that'll actually create little images that, that have that little quote so that, you know, they can fit something in that might not have fit 140 characters or they can kind of 
serve. You'll have one. You'll have one for this episode because <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. that's I do that for each guest. I pull out a little pull quote, and then it's it always looks the same just to kind of stay on brand, like Fart's color scheme and the typeface that's used and all that. And yeah, I think there's this notion of you know how do you kind of preserve the fidelity of the message? Um, you've certainly seen you know. Uh, my, my favorite being, you know, Rob Delaney, who will, you know, make up, you know, real will retweet or fake retweet, you know, celebrities and things and do these kind of, you know, d- the, the social media things, could, the, the message can get corrupted very easily. Um, so I think that's, you know, an effective means. And I, I won't be surprised to see more kind of apps and, and kind of platforms rise up for that behavior in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. Well, where would you say from a, in the sports industry, in particular, where would you say the sports industry struggles in regards to technology and design and, and marketing and where, where do you think it can improve? So it's actually, you know, it's a good question leads into, you know, something that I, you know, that we've been working on at RGA with, with the, the Dodgers accelerator, you know, and, and we were fortunate to be able to, you know, partner with the Dodgers. We had worked with, with Techstars on a couple of, of, connected device accelerators of our own and, and look, taking some of the learnings from that, we were able to, to go out and work with the Dodgers who are obviously, a, you know, leader just as a, as one of the ultimate kind of great, you know, teams and brands in sport. Um, and, and what we heard from them and the, the real kind of mandate was there's, there is, you know, there is so much happening around kind of sport and innovation. There's so much opportunity out there today. Um, but what I've seen, you know, and with blogs of balls, we've kind of lamented this for years that, there was all these interesting things happening in other spaces, but because sport is so much about access, it's so much about um, you know the the you know it, the rights to a game, the rights to to league content and intellectual property. It, it felt like for a while sport was lagging behind. You know, you'd see these really great you know startups in other categories, and it just felt like you know there wasn't that that disruption that was happening everywhere else i mean let's face it the, the a lot of the, the leagues are essentially you know legally granted monopolies they have a ton of power and i think for a while you know some of the leagues more than others the attitude was really you know more to stifle innovation than to embrace it and i think certainly baseball has been a leader um and bam you know major league baseball advanced media really you know was a was a big visionary bet by the baseball owners that has paid off in a big way and i am a diehard subscriber you know watch games everywhere i go um and and think what they've done is amazing and and the dodgers you know have embraced that vision um of you know how do we you know partner with you know we're we're you know a, a well-funded, you know, entity with, with a great team, with great access to, to knowledge, to mentors. We've, we've got that, but, but how do we pull in, you know, some, some of these innovative thinkers who are, are, you know, really change, helping to change the face of sports and entertainment and, and give them some of the access, some of the, you know, the resources that they might not otherwise have to be able to, you know, get in and, and create innovation specific to sport. And so, uh, you know, I think that that's, you know, as we, we start to see, and, and then everything starts to, you know, from there it's, it's, you know, a game of sort of follow the money, right? You get some success stories and we've started to see a few of those. I mean, you know, my, my friends over at FanDuel reaching billion dollar valuation, um, and, and you start to see, you know, more and more money pour in. And now all of a sudden, you know, I think leagues and teams have started that much more to embrace what leaders like the Dodgers have started to do um, and put more money into innovation, put more money into the startup world and, and you know, trying to trying to get a piece of, you know, what's coming next. And so I think that, you know, right now is 
possibly the most exciting time, you know, for, for somebody who's, who's a, a sports fan and, and a, you know, technology enthusiast to kind of finally see those worlds really colliding in a way that, that makes interesting things come to life. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And I actually, I remember when the uh, Dodgers accelerator was announced, I was, I was blown away I, I, because we, you know, I pay attention heavily to the, the Silicon Valley startup world and, you know, you kind of read TechCrunch and, and all those types of things just to kind of see what's what's happening, what's next. Uh, and like you said, the, the sports industry wasn't really embracing these types of things. And I don't know if it was necessarily from a, I think a lot of it too was from like what you were saying with the, the very strict partnerships with content and, and that type of stuff. But, but also a lot of the super not to try to not to stereotype but you know a lot of my personal friends that are really heavy into technology aren't huge sports fans you know they want to build the next facebook or the next big social idea that's going to be at this sort of broad scale and and then you look at us and we're kind of really doing a deep dive in these vertical markets what 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 are the benefits of a actual team partnering with an you know with an accelerator because i know that the con or the actual startups don't have to be specific to baseball. Yeah, I think, you know, the the Dodgers are, you know, as you know, know owned by, you know, Guggenheim Partners is much larger uh, company with a lot of different investments in a lot of different categories. So, you know, when they shaped, you know, when we shaped the the way that the the accelerator would be, you know, and the types of companies that it would look for, you know, they they made it a little bit broader and really said, you know, sports and entertainment. It's not to say, you know, we're not going to take an overly rigid definition of, oh, it's got to be baseball or it's got to be, you know, one of, you know, something that's going to fit into one of, you know, the three or four major sports. Certainly some of the companies that that they've been looking at, you know, bridge into things like esports and this rise of kind of, you know, video games as you know, um, kind of, you know, and you, there's certainly debate over whether or not people, you know, are those video gamers athletes or not. I'm not here to make a call one way or the other on that. All I know is that there are, you know, I think I saw a stat that said, you know, more hours of video gaming content being watched on YouTube, uh, than, than sports content on YouTube. Well, did you, you, you saw the whole PewDiePie thing a couple weeks ago? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this you know the the amount of money that these guys are making, and there was a really good argument to be made based on his viewership that like, not only is he making millions, he's probably wildly underpaid. Um, you see, Twitch acquired for you know over a billion dollars in in what looked like a bidding war between you know all the tech titans, and you know, so I think the the lines are are blurring as far as sport and and entertainment, and you know, certainly you know, going back to the days of you know, or still around, you know, WWE. Like, is that sport? Is that entertainment? It's it's a little bit of both. It's all they're all a little bit of both, and um, you know, so I think for for the Dodgers as a team, with certainly a vested interest in in giving their fans the best possible experience, um, and you know, in in you know, trying to stay ahead of the curve from a from a team standpoint. I mean, I, you know, one of the things I love about the Dodgers, you start talking about like innovation in sport well before the days of, you know, microchips and, and smartphones. And you look at, you know, what the Dodgers were doing, you know, in scouting in Latin America um, way before everybody else was. You go back, I mean, certainly go all the way back to Jackie Robinson. Like the Dodgers were, have this really proud history of breaking new ground, not being afraid to to try new things and, and have 
certainly benefited in a lot of, you know, who they are as a team. It's, it's tied up in that. So I kind of I go back to what I was talking about, about the sort of DNA of RGA and this ability, this, this comfortability with trying new things with, with constantly kind of staying ahead of the curve. And that's where there's a really nice cultural fit with the Dodgers who are, who are a, a team who's, you know, always been one step ahead of, of a lot of the competition. Right. Now, what's what's the uh, you guys being an agency and now launching accelerators? And I know that you already had RGA accelerator. So how does that work? I mean, what is uh, what is uh, there's a lot of designers that listen to the show that work in house for teams or they you know or in house at colleges or that type of thing, and they aren't as privy to the startup world uh, as as some people are. So how does that work when you're an agency and you're now launching an accelerator? Like what does your role then become? Are you guys investing in the companies? Are you providing design services for equity kind of things? We're providing, you know, uh, so, some small, you know, uh, amount of seed capital, but it's, it's more about that sort of equity for service model. It's really about, you know, RGA bringing its, its world-class expertise in, in design and technology and strategy to, to, bear for these companies and and you know and what we've seen you know based on a, a couple classes of, of or a few classes of accelerators now each company is going to kind of come in with different gaps there you're going to have some who you know the the product is really well baked but you know maybe the the kind of general branding and logo is you know was clearly done by you know a developer who just kind of quickly mocked something up uh, you know in in hopefully maybe something like sketch but maybe something like Microsoft paint you never know you know it's kind of they were focused on getting the product out the door in other cases you've got somebody who's who's got a really great story really great brand product may still need you know some some design help and we've you know whether it's us and we, we also bring in you know some best in class partners who can help on the industrial design side and round out those services so it's not just about RGA it's about you know world class mentors and in, you know that's what's really exciting with the Dodgers you've got the the big names that are part of the Dodger organization people like Peter Goober are going to be you know part of that mix and helping these companies giving them you know connecting them to resources connecting them to opportunity um, so it's it's a it's a blend of mentorship services um investment we we you know there's then also an ability to you know potentially have subsequent investment depending on where the company wants to go and where the opportunities are that can come from rga it can be rga um and partners helping um to to you know raise that next round or helping them to go attract investors who are going to be part of that next round so it's really you know it's it's first and foremost about you know rga bringing the, the experience that we have um you know to the table with these companies and and then you know uh, you know those those additional pieces as well. Well, and you know, the, I think the interesting thing about this is that it could also, in some roundabout way, actually help players learn how to invest their money. I mean, who who more? You know, we see the ESPN thirty for thirties or whatever, where players end up being broke because <laughs> they've spent their money. But here's an opportunity now for these guys to come in and maybe bend the ear of some of the people that are working in this world. And it's like, Hey, you know what? That's a great idea. I'm passionate about youth sports. I want to actually, uh, angel invest in these particular products. Yeah. I think, I think you're going to definitely see a rise in that. I think, you know, you're already seeing it, you know, the, the, the guy, the big names, the guys that wouldn't probably have to worry about money anyways, your Carmelo's and Kobe's that are forming 
you know, venture arms and, and, you know, I think Kobe Inc is already invested in at least a couple companies. I think I've, I think he's invested in body armor, the, the Gatorade competitor that I've seen in a few places. And, um, you know, has, has a full stable of endorsement, endorsement deals with Gronkowski and other guys. Um, so, you know, those, the, the, you know, the really savvy guys are already there. I, I think, you know, an interesting space I would watch too is, you know, I do wonder whether it's at the team level, um, or the kind of players association level, but, uh, you know, is there a future state? I, I'm just wondering, wondering out loud. It's not like I've had any conversations, but you know, what if that was one of your differentiators as a team is that you had, you know, players were, were going to be, you know, get their traditional kind of fixed compensation model, but there was also, you know, room for them to put some of their money into some sort of investment arm that, you know, where, where the team is helping to kind of connect them and maybe managing some of that, bringing some expertise that the players may not themselves necessarily have to the table. Um, or like I said, the players associations, um, you know, you look at, you know, the amount of, you know, what these guys are trying to do, certainly the NFL at the forefront of, you know, how these guys because they're averaging three, four years of a career. How do we make sure that, you know, the rest of their life that they're, you know, that they're set up to succeed? Um, could some of that be taking some of the money that, that pours into their trusts and, uh, and, and reallocating that towards, you know, investment opportunities? So I, I think, you know, at least at the moment, there's, there's no shortage of demand for investment opportunity out there. Um, you know, definitely a, a huge, we've seen a huge uptick in the, you know, both growth of kind of venture capital as well as kind of private investment, angel investment. And, you know, I'm sure at some point there may be some some moments where that kind of levels out. You know, you can debate whether or not it's a bubble um, at the moment. I, I, I think, it, you know, but regardless of how it ebbs and flows, I don't think we're going to see any scenario in which people are going to, you know, forget the the huge wins that, that early investors in a Facebook or Uber got. Right. Well, I know that you're in Austin, Texas, and I think a lot of us probably know one of the, the big events in Austin is South by Southwest, one of the biggest events in the country, not, not only just Austin. A couple years ago, they sort of did an offshoot of the interactive and film track called SX Sports. And I know that in uh, 2015 this year was its second year, and that particular track, it seems to be really growing up. I mean, you got Charles Barkley, Victor Cruz, Colin Cowherd, and tons of big sports personalities discussing the future of sports. Why do you think it took so many years for this sort of tech entrepreneur side of sports to kind of come to the forefront where these guys are now starting to get involved? I mean, it just seems like it's just been so underserved until recently. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think it, uh, it's funny because... God, what was it? I guess maybe 2011. Um, we working with the, you know Andrew McNeil, who's who you know really played a key role in, in building the South by Sports track. Um, he reached out to to Don and Chris and I on the blogs with Ball side and asked us if we'd come in and kind of curate a little mini panel, basically just a panel, it was, you know, a little sample platter of what we had been doing with blogs with balls. And we had this great panel that had uh, Jamel Hill and Darren Ravel and uh, Spencer Hall and leaving somebody out and I feel terrible, but, uh, you know, but it was, it was, it was a, you know, it was a greatest hits panel of some of, of the best people we had had. Um, and it was, you know, it, it, I think so the seeds of, of where they were going to go, I think, you know, why it had taken that long. I, you kind of touched on it earlier, the tech and sports communities haven't always necessarily fit together real well. Now, obviously today, I think those worlds have, have collided, at least on the, the sports fan side, when we all as sports fans have phones in our pocket, we're, you know, we're all 
you know, a little bit techie today. But, you know, the, the, if you go back, and I, I attended my first South by Southwest in 2005, you go back to the early roots of South by Southwest from an interactive side. And, you know, it was, I remember being at my first South by, it was a real geeky thing. Like, I remember seeing, you know, people who were having, like, you know, robot jousts. Uh, and this is well before <laughs> the days of you know, home drone kits. This was like people who had taken Roombas and hacked them and they're sitting there on a pool table trying to like, who can knock in the most pool balls with the Roomba with a remote control. And like, I mean, it was, it was definitely a crew that, listen, I want to over stereotype. I'm sure some of them are diehard sports fans, but a lot of them, they looked at the sports world and, you know, this was the, you know, they were the dumb jocks. And, and I think, and I, well, I think that's, like I said, sort of an unfair characterization. I, I know talking to some people at South by that there was definitely a, a while there where they were sort of going, ah, I just don't, I'm not sure that it, that we want to put sports in the mix too much. But I, but you know, as, as, like I said, as, as the world's all sort of collided and kind of mashed up together. And I can remember when we did that, that blogs with balls panel, um, you know, we were, we're in a medium sized room. It wasn't huge, but I mean, it was standing room only. It was, you know, people having to wait outside because the fire marshal was saying that, you know, that it was at capacity and they wouldn't let any more people in, you know, I think, and, and there were a few other panels along the way that kind of slipped through that, that proved out that, you know, this is an audience, whether the audience has shifted at South by or whether the audience has, has changed in terms of their passions, whatever you want, whatever it was that, that there was obviously now a huge appetite for, for sporting content. Well, it's definitely interesting that you kind of have these two audiences because right down the road is arguably one of the biggest and most passionate college football fan bases in the country. You know, it's, it's kind of sitting right there in the backyard at, at Texas, you know, the Texas Longhorns there. So it's it's good to hear that that's kind of coming about. And I know me personally, I'm looking forward to getting down there next year. Now, I know that your panel that you were talking about, it was for... Uh, the title of it was the sports fan experience in 2015. And that was conducted back in, like you're saying, I think 2012. What, what happened? Yeah. So, so that was, uh, so it's funny. We did the blogs with balls one, I guess in 2011. And then the next year, uh, Richard Ting, who is now our GA's chief experience officer and, and you know, my boss and a great guy. Uh, and he and I were working closely together at the time and, and kind of put together the panel in 2012, the sports fan experience panel, and yeah, I mean, I don't want to toot our own horn, but I feel like we pretty much nailed it. Like, you know, we, you can, we, timing may have been off. We may have been like, you know, things may have happened a year earlier or a year later, but you know, we, we, we had gone through, we had done some sort of conceptual art of kind of, you know, first talking about the trends that were happening today and then showing sort of a day in the life of a sports fan going to a Knicks game in 2015 and I mean, now you can almost look you look back on it like, oh, that's so cute. Like that's that, that like feels dated, even, you know, e- e- totally accurate. But so many things that now just feel so commonplace. The idea of like, you know, not needing a ticket as you walk into a game like, well, yeah, of course. Like that's come on. Everybody's got their phone and got, you know, passbook or whatever and got their got their tickets on there. And so, you know, but, you know, I think a lot of what we, we saw was was coming, you know, did come to fruition. Like I said, some of it came faster. There's still some stuff. You know, I think there's things. Uh, you know, your sort of advanced metrics or your advanced kind of biometric stuff and being able to kind of measure athlete, you know, health that, you know, during a game, we, I think we're kind of project, you know, had, had one slide, if I remember right, that was, you know, oh, imagine the guy shooting free throws and you'd be able to see his pulse as he's shooting free throws. And while certainly the technology's there that hasn't necessarily found its way into broadcast yet, but 
it was really just that 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 rate of change was going to accelerate as much as it did so that a lot of these things that we were that we were predicting would be you know futuristic and and happen in 2015 happened within a year because it just the that everything started to move so quickly right well and i think it's we're in a great time for for sports especially sport consuming sports and on uh on a previous episode, a guy, Hans Anderson, he works in ESPN's emerging technology department. We were discussing augmented reality and, you know, when's, when is that moment when uh, I brought this up in that episode where, you know, you see these sort of, this is how tall or how big and how muscular like this particular football player is or whatever. The point where in augmented reality, I have this guy in my living room, like almost like a holographic image and my kids can like compare themselves to him, you know, like how tall is this guy? Or like, where do I measure up and that type of thing. So it's, it's a lot of really cool stuff coming. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're paying a lot of attention to, uh, you know, magic leap and Oculus. And, and we've done actually some, some nice things working with Google cardboard and the, the, you know, and Samsung, some things working with Samsung as well. Um, you know, I think there's no doubt that's coming in it. And it feels like, I mean, I don't know if you've seen any of the little like magic leap demo videos or, you know, conceptual art, but I mean, that, that part's the craziest to me, this idea of glasses that are kind of beaming images onto your eyeball, the idea that like, you wouldn't even need a TV anymore, that it'll just, you know, it'll look like there's a 90 inch TV on your wall, but it's just glasses that are projecting it on there. And then the, certainly the virtual reality stuff. And I know the NBA is already capturing all sorts of content so that people can, you know, uh, could very, very in the very near future experience what it's like to sit courtside, um, you know, through, through a virtual reality headset. So again, I look at those things that feel super crazy and futuristic and say two years down the road, we're probably going to have that becoming fairly mainstream and it's going to kind of be, you know, these surreal moments for us. So it's, uh, yeah, like you said, it's, it's, a, it, I don't know that you could ask for a better time to be a sports fan consuming and watching sport. Right. Well, I, I want to be respectful of your time and, and I appreciate you coming aboard. Why don't you kind of give us some last bit advice of someone who maybe is like you, maybe they're working in, like you started, maybe they're working in some job and they're passionate about sports and they're good at design or they're good at technology and wanting to kind of specifically move into the niche a lot more, be it for an agency or a team. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in the simplest sense, you know, it's like thinking about the sort of overlap, finding the overlapping little Venn diagram circles of like what you're passionate about, what you're good at, uh, and, and, you know, where there's, where there's a, a gap or where there's, you know, where there's, a, there's something that a need that isn't being filled today. And if you can find something that kind of sits at that intersection, um, chances are, you know, whether or not it becomes your, you know, it becomes a living, um, at least you're going to have a lot of fun doing it. You're going to definitely be able to connect with new people through that process. Um, and you know, it's, it's, you know, uh, probably going to, you know, delight quite a few people because it's going to be something that, you know, unexpected that they've never seen before. Very cool. Well, Kyle, where can listeners follow you online and support your work and all that type of thing? Yeah. So, you know, sadly, I talked all this time about blogs and stuff, and I've let so many of mine lapse. I think the best place to follow me at this point is is over on Twitter at Kyle Bunch and on Instagram at just at Bunch. Um, those are probably the two places where I'm most active. And, and certainly, um, you know, uh, apologies if you catch me over tweeting during a during a baseball game or anything like that. But uh <laughs> that's all of us. That's all of us that listen to this show, man. 
<laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I really appreciate you uh, having me on. This has been great. I, I, you know, anytime, any excuse to talk about sports and technology, I love it. Very cool, man. Well, well thanks a lot for your time. I'm a big fan of RGA's work and, and definitely plan on keeping up with the things that you're doing. Awesome. Thanks so much, Adam. Yeah, thank you. My next guest on the show is going to be Matt Coyle. Matt is the creative director of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, where he leads design and other creative initiatives for Toronto's professional sports properties, which include the Maple Leafs, Raptors, Toronto FC, and Toronto Marlies. Matt's group does extremely nice work, and they've actually, like RGA, won a couple of awards recently from the Clio Sport Awards. Uh, I believe it was for their We Are We the North campaign for the Toronto Raptors. Big thanks again to Kyle Bunch of RGA for coming aboard the show today. Again, be sure to follow and connect with him, as he mentioned on Twitter, at Kyle Bunch. And then the agency is at RGA. Uh, If you follow me on Twitter or have listened to a couple of the last episodes, you know that I recently attended Major Level Creative Connect 2015, which is a conference in in Houston, Texas. I moderated a panel there with former guest Todd Radom, Torch Creative, and another gentleman by the name of Ricardo Crespo, who is a branding expert and has worked behind the scenes with the likes of Nike and Apple. Uh, For those of you that weren't in attendance, I recorded the panel and released it as a podcast episode on last week's halftime. So I highly recommend checking out the show, the conf or that panel. The conference was geared towards designers and creatives that are working in pro sports, uh, specifically for teams. There were so many levels of depth to that conversation and some great insight into how and how to overcome the challenges that we often deal with when working in this particular niche. Also, don't forget about Weekend Reads, a weekly newsletter where I write exclusive content and share the things that I'm reading, find interesting, or the things that inspire me with you. In addition, on that list, you'll be notified in advance of upcoming guests and get podcast show notes delivered right to your inbox. Please go support the show by signing up at makersofsport.com slash email. Lastly, please take one to two minutes head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes. Hit the five star and write about your experience with the show. If you've gotten value from myself or any of the guests on the show, then please share the podcast and rate the content so that others can discover that value for them as well. As always, I'll accept likes on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you happen to be listening to this show right now. I'm at T. Adam Martin on Twitter and Dribble. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week.